Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Roundabout Sports, presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media, where our passion is our profession. Thank you for joining us this Wednesday night. I am the My Show Jeremy Carp, alongside the most exhausted umpire in America, and one that's jealous that he wasn't the one that called the perfect game, Hollywood James Knox. James, how are you, buddy? Doing well, sir. Good to be with you this evening. Oh, it's a pleasure to be with you, my friend. So it has been quite the crazy week, I must say, in sports. Yeah, I uh, we, we've talked about this before. Generally, the NFL trade deadline is not one to write home about. But yesterday, there was uh, quite the flurry of trades, uh, some good, some that made you uh, scratch your head. And then other teams that should have made a deal uh, were silent. So it's... Uh, yeah, it was interesting to say the least. And uh, you kind of, like I said, you kind of wait for your team's logo to pop up on the screen with, you know, breaking news. And uh, not the case for a lot of teams that you thought would be in the hunt this year. And instead, they stayed idle at the uh, trade deadline. Well, and it's interesting to me that teams that definitely needed to make some moves didn't. Um, and some teams that you didn't expect to make moves did. Overall, this was one of the most wild and zaniest trade deadlines we've had in NFL history. Um, but it's not the only thing we have to talk about this week. Um, there's also, of course, what the hell is going on with the St. Louis Blues? I mean, remember when they started the season 3-0? We all were excited. I mean, everything was glorious. It was fantastic. And then it just went... Oh, oh, how they have fallen from grace. And I saw what you did there. Glorious. Yeah, I got you. Uh, hopefully, that's the, uh, the the same ending to this year as there was in 2019. Uh, you start off 3-0, and and then it's like the defense became broken. You're hanging your goaltenders out to dry. And uh, now we've got the general manager having to come out and have a press conference. So hopefully, we can diagnose that. I'll play Dr. House and try to figure out what's wrong with the St. Louis Blues. Absolutely. And folks, uh, last night, uh, the president of the XFL, uh, Russ Brandon, and uh, Anthony Beck, who is the head coach of the St. Louis Battlehawks, yes, they revealed the names of the teams in the XFL this past Monday. And honestly, it doesn't surprise me, but the Battlehawks remain the same. Kakaw is still the law here in the loo, and I am so looking forward to it. And I found out earlier that the Battlehawks by a large margin lead in season ticket deposits. In fact, from what I have here, the Battlehawks have uh, over 18,000 seats in season ticket deposits. Meanwhile, in second place is Seattle with 6,000. Shouldn't surprise you, uh, obviously, before the coronavirus shut things down in 2020, they were getting ready to open up the upper levels as the uh, team from Los Angeles was the Los Angeles Wildcats were to come to town. You know, I, I think that with Dwayne The Rock Johnson being such a PR and marketing guru, uh, if it's not broke, don't fix it. Uh, you're going to bring back the Battlehawks. It's the same design. It's the same color scheme. Uh, and it's good to see somebody who already has a connection to the city as the head coach. Anthony Beck, of course, also played for the St. Louis Rams. 
you know, it's good to have that. And he, he made a couple statements stating that, you know, this is all about the fans. He had told the league office that he wanted to get out and uh, promote the team and kind of mingle among the fans as much as he could, uh, that he's also very prevalent on social media. He has no problem talking to the fans and answering questions. I think for this iteration of the XFL to be successful, I think you need a head coach like that. And I think that the Battlehawks have the perfect guy in a former St. Louis Ram, New York Jet, among other teams, Anthony Beck. Well, and it cracks, it, it cracks me up because when they revealed the names of the head coaches, they revealed who everyone was. You know, you got guys like Wade Phillips up there. Um and then you also got like guys such as uh, Bob Stoops, Reggie Barlow, Heinz um, Ward, Heinz Ward, Jim Haslett. So obviously Anthony Beck is not the most notable name out of that. But like you said, James, he has such great ties to the city of St. Louis. Um, he is a former first round pick uh, drafted by the New York Jets, uh, 27th overall in, I believe, 2000. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, played with Kurt Warner, played with Mark Bolger, um, had the ple- has had the pleasure of being so involved with the community of St. Louis still to this day. And he's just so glad that the XFL is back and so are we. I tell you, the crowd was absolutely electric last night at Ballpark Village. Um, getting to meet him was a pleasure of mine. And I, I, February can't get here fast enough for that. Right. And, 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 and on top of everything else, great personality kind of endears himself to the city. Um, I know that there were a couple of questions asked if, you know, there were going to be some of the same players that were back from before. And of course, he said there's a lot of talent that we're trying to go through. Uh, I did like his comment whenever, you know, uh, asked about meeting Dwayne The Rock Johnson and saying that uh, I've got a little bit more muscle definition than he that does. I thought great. that was funny. Um, but I, I also find it interesting, too, and this is going to go for every XFL coach and every XFL organization that's that's in the league. So these head coaches have approximately five weeks to instill their uh, their game plans with their teams once everybody breaks and they get together. So I think that it'll be interesting to see how he does that. Of course, he played on the offensive side of the ball. So uh, hopefully the Battlehawks offense will fly high. I sure definitely hope so. So with that, we are going to keep the football stuff going, keep football talk flying. First, also be sure to comment, like, subscribe. We are on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. You can find us all over the place, folks. So it is time to talk about – no, wait. Wrong one. Hang on. This one. No. Damn it. That's not it either. Hang on. No, we're getting – well, we're getting closer. There we go. It's time to talk about the NFL. Um, that beautiful. Well, we have to. No, we um, don't. Yes, we do. Damn it. Nope. I can't. I can't fix my team's offense. How do you think I feel sometimes? But hey, guess what? Cleveland dominated Cincinnati yet again. I love it. We have. Joe Burrow is zero four against the Cleveland Browns. So there's just there's just one problem. He he did make it to the Super Bowl last year. Yeah, it's just also a problem that I don't care about. Bengals lost. Yeah. So, yeah. To my Rams, so. Yeah, but the Rams ain't making it this year. So, uh, okay. It doesn't look that way. No. And part of the reason is because they are decimated by injuries and have made no effort to fix that. But before I get into the trade talks, there is something that came out today by Albert Breer um, in regards to the Los Angeles Rams. Now. 
Sean McVay, youngest coach in the NFL, is only 36 years old. Um, and uh, Evan, thank you so much for tuning in. I share the sentiment on that one. Um, there's only a couple guys on that team I even do still like, Aaron Donald and Rob Evenstein, because, you know, they were St. Louis Rams. We can't but all be winners. Well, you know what? We cannot all be winners. It's kind of hard to win when your owner sabotages your team. So, and the fans. Nevertheless, the, there's a core group in Los Angeles between, I know, right? He's the youngest coach. There's a core group in Los Angeles of Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Matt Stafford, and Cooper Cup. Mm-hmm. And according to Albert Breer, what happens is once that group disbands, either by retirement, free agency trade, the report states that Sean McVay is going to retire. Now, given the ages of some of these players, contract statuses of these guys, injuries, the fact that they all already have a Super Bowl based off last year, I mean, there's a likely possibility Sean McVay is going to be retiring before he's 40 at least from coaching, right? because Aaron Donald has already hinted at retirement just this past offseason. He was ready to turn in the paperwork, but yep. he decided not to at the last moment. And I and look, I don't want the Rams to win the Super Bowl, but I guarantee you if they did win another one, or if they did, oh, they, wow, Aaron they would Donald, all leave. They would all, be all done. leave. They'd yep. all be done. Led well, by Aaron Donald. Donald would right. be the first to go. Right, and that was kind of the like McVeigh and Donald are kind of hitched together here because let's not forget the big chunk of change that Amazon was ready to practically throw at Sean McVeigh to put him in the box without Michaels uh, for the Amazon, the Thursday night package that the Amazon purchased with the NFL. Uh, I, I Stafford restructured his contact contract. They also gave him an extension. So, I could see Stafford playing. Stafford's 34. Uh, so I could see him playing for at least three or four more years. But I, I'm not sure because I know that Aaron Donald got an extension as well uh, for I think it was three years. You know, you're you're looking at that three to four, that five-year window. And, you know, Sean McVay's made it perfectly clear that he doesn't want to uh, – he doesn't want to spend the rest of his life coaching. And, I mean, obviously he's a, he's a newlywed. He got married after the Super Bowl this summer. Uh, so, I mean, and if you've already been that successful, I mean, yeah, you're one and one in Super Bowls. You've been to two, uh, you know, you've won the division numerous times. There's no, I mean, as much as I love Sean McVay and his offensive mindset, if you've already been successful and there's nothing else to prove, then you, you know, why not? Yeah. And I look at, I mean, the Rams also are in a situation where when that core group leaves, even oh, they're in trouble. Even if any of them, like it's because it's to me, I look at, I compare it to like the Yankees core four, except the Yankees core four, obviously full of Hall of Famers, a lot more successful overall. Right. Um, of, you know, Jeter, Posada, Pettit, and uh, Rivera. Um, but they started leaving one at a time, you know, and I can see that happening in the case of the Rams. Right. And what, but, you said it yourself, they're screwed. Why? Because they went all in to get guys like Ramsey, to get yeah. guys like Stafford. They almost, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but they were willing to trade two first-round picks that we're surprised they even still have 
for Brian Burns on the Carolina Panthers. And yes, like we said before the show, surprisingly, the Panthers said no. But at the same time, for the Rams, they should be thankful the Panthers said no because they're already screwed enough as it is when it comes to picks. Well, here's the thing: you got to think when those when when those four players leave, you know that frees up a ton of salary cap money. Now, if you are successful before McVay leaves and those players retire or you know leave the organization and go elsewhere, you know you're going to attract top tier players to LA. So you have to think about it in the fact that it's cyclical. So if, you know, obviously the Rams win the Super Bowl, you know, they were able to go out and get Bobby Wagner, bring him to L.A. Um, and, and, you know, keep Donald from retiring. And, and you've got a good core group of guys. If you continue to be successful, you know, guys are going to want to come to L.A. The problem is, is are they going to come to L.A. only if McVay is the coach? Because if he retires, then you know, who are you playing for? To answer Jag, Jag's history's question down there, the Rams tried to trade Cam Akers. They, they, they put his name out there. They shopped him to every league, to every team in the league. But here's the thing. It's no different than what the Cardinals do at Jack Flaherty. Right now, you can't get somebody to give you anything for him because he has no value. Cam Akers has a terrible case of fumbling the football. Worse than James Robinson had at any time last year. So when you look at it, I could trade him for a bag of footballs, but that's not going to better my team any. And, you know, Sean McVay's had conversations with Cam Akers and says he's hopeful that he'll play for the Rams again. You know, I know we're getting a little sidetracked here, but the idea being is that's another problem. You don't have a running back there that can carry the load. Cam Akers is a problem. Daryl Henderson, up and down, injury prone. You bring in a guy like Ronnie Ray Rivers, who was, who was electric in the, the passing game, uh, his screen game last week, but he's not a he's not a proven quantity. You, you you know the Rams were in on Christian McCaffrey and came up short. You know uh, which is very well put San Francisco in the driver's seat, I believe, to win that division. But you can attract players to your team if you're winning and you're successful. However, if those players want to come and play for Sean McVay and Sean's like, well, look, you know, I've won another Super Bowl or I've done all the winning I can do or it's time to move on or, you know, he does not pull a Tom Brady and break his family up by playing or coaching more football. You know, at that point in time, do players come to play in L.A. for the brand and for the fact that they're being showcased because the state taxes aren't going to do them any favors salary wise? Or do they say, you know, I'm only going to come to L.A. and play if Sean McVay is my head coach? Well, you look at it when you talk about uh, being attracted to L.A., whether for the fans, whether it's for, you know, the ambience of the fact that it is, you know, it's such a huge market. Well, obviously one of the biggest markets in the Western Hemisphere, let alone just in the freaking United States. And then you look at things like this and you say, are there people really being attracted to L.A.? Now, well, seriously, is, does that look like a home game? Rams house my ass. That well, is a road game at SoFi. And I don't care what the score says. Even if the Rams were winning, more 49ers fans were showing out to that game than there were Rams fans. But the problem the problem is, is I mean, look who they're playing. They're playing San Francisco. Then those Niners fans travel everywhere. They said that uh, last year during the playoffs, like, you know, at, when they played Dallas at the uh, – Jerry's house, Jerry's world, that the, the crowd looked the same way. There are just certain teams that travel. The Niners are one of them. The Packers are one. Steeler fans travel. Um, so it really doesn't surprise me. 
I know that, you know, Bill's Mafia is another uh, another team that travels really well. So, yeah, I mean, they have a they, they have a they have a problem out there with that, because when you're playing San Francisco or Seattle and you're playing those teams that are close in proximity, they're going to travel. Um, you know, L.A. is the, the problem with L.A. is there's so much to do as well. You've got the exactly. Lakers, you've got the Kings, you've got the Dodgers, you've got beaches, you've got uh, you know, luxurious hotels and and spas and restaurants and this and that. I mean, there's just a ton to do there. I mean, it's kind of like when we saw the XFL, the XFL didn't draw out there. They didn't draw well in New York either when the Guardians were there. So, you know, there, there are just certain places where teams don't draw or in this case where, you know, it's such close proximity. You think of all the teams that are in the NFC West. You've got Arizona, Seattle, Los Angeles, and San Francisco, and you're all within, you know, a good what 30 minutes to an hour and a half flight to either one of those locations. Right. And that is another reason why a lot of why the XFL, when they did rebrand and they brought back teams, two of them were that didn't come back were the one in uh, Los Angeles and New York because right. they had they had the worst attendance. And those are the two biz, biggest ugh, biggest cities in America. And despite that, I mean, because combined I mean, you're looking at a population that's probably over 14, 15 million. If you combine the populations of the New York City area and the L.A. area. Um, but despite that, nobody showed up to XFL games. Why? No. For the exact point that you just brought up, because there's a million other things that you can do. And well, just like on Sundays, there is so much to do on a nice, beautiful Sunday in Los Angeles. Then go all the way out to Inglewood and go watch a Rams game with an overrated team right now very much so i mean but the other thing is too is like we think of like some of these bigger cities la is one that is actually a really good example you know generally with los angeles like there are a lot of transplants that live there and when you look at it that way like their home team may be the giants they may be giants fans living in la they may be uh miami dolphins fans i mean you know i mean it works the same way for like baseball and hockey and everything else as well is that you know, a lot of people move out there to take jobs or or to, you know, especially if you're working in like Silicon Valley or whatever, that, you know, you become a transplant and you're still a fan of the team that, you know, you left. You're just you're living so far away from them now that when they come and play the home team, you want to go. I mean, I do that when, you know, the Rams play in Indianapolis against the Colts. You know, I, I'm going to go see my team play or, you know, we, we see it when the Blues and Predators, Blues and Blackhawks, you know, those matchups as well. So, you know. I, but right now that team is overrated. I mean, but you know, the chargers are having the same problem when it comes to attendance wise at SoFi as well. I mean, shoot, when the chargers were playing at basically a soccer stadium, I mean, it was basically an away game every single week. StubHub stadium. StubHub stadium. Oh gosh. <laughs> More like free seat stadium. Um, nevertheless. All right. It's time to continue our NFL talk into the trade deadline. And like I said, Jags history, uh, asking about why the Rams didn't trade Cam Akers, and James brought it up that they tried to. It just didn't work out. Um, reports are saying Cam Akers is disgruntled, and there is the very likely possibility he still will not play a single down for the team the rest of the season because – I'd be disgruntled too if I couldn't hang out to the damn ball. Yeah, well, <laughs> I'd be disgruntled too if I didn't have anybody blocking for me in front. Hey, look, you know? Daryl Henderson is averaging 4.1 yards a carry with this offensive line. Well, Daryl Henderson's also overhyped. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> he, he's he's fast. Cam Akers thinks he's fast. The only problem is, is 
Cam also forgets the bowl. Well, tell that to Melvin Gordon, who's not fast like Cam Akers. Um, or, or let's put it this way. Melvin Gordon doesn't forget the ball. At some point, he just forgets that he has it. Yeah. Um, I think we're seeing okay. that. Which are, I, I, here, here's the thing. We, we talk about these weapons. I know we're getting ready to get in the trade deadline. I, I'm really surprised that a team like the Packers or, or somebody like that didn't take a, a flyer on Cam Akers. I know that they have A.J. Dillon. I know they have Aaron Jones. But, you know, I, it, it doesn't hurt to have another the, weapon. I think, I'm not surprised the Packers didn't go for um... – for Cam Akers, I am surprised uh, teams such as, I mean, shoot, honestly, throwing the Titans out there because, hell, look at what ha- – if Derrick Henry gets hurt, you know, there's they got Dontrell Hilliard who's also had an injury history. Yep. Then you got the Colts who we're about to explain why they would be a prime uh, destination for a running back, at least for I purposes. Still can't, I still cannot believe that. So – in fact, you know what? That's a perfect transition. So, folks, it is time here on Roundabout Sports to talk about the NFL trade deadline. And we're going to kick it off with just what we were about to mention. The Indianapolis Colts made a trade yesterday, which sent running back Naheem Hines, one of the more dynamic dual threat players, to the Buffalo Bills. And... Zach Moss goes from Buffalo to Indianapolis as part of the trade, as well as a conditional six-round pick in 2023, according to NFL Network. And, you know, Zach Moss really did – last year, he and Singletary were an interesting duo, you know, because Singletary would be getting all the yards, Zach Moss would be getting all the touchdowns, sometimes vice versa. This year – it was Singletary the whole way, and then James Cooks would or James Cook would get in there, you know, the rookie running back. Um, meanwhile, Naheem Hines in Indianapolis, Jonathan Taylor gets hurt. Well, Naheem Hines finally first play of the game. What happens? He gets a concussion. So Deion Jackson, the hit the rookie running back on the Colts, he shines. So and with everything going on in Indianapolis, there was not a place for Hines to truly fit in the system. So, you know, they bench Matt Ryan. They're, it's like they're imploding from within. They fire the offensive coordinator. We don't know what's going on in Indy except last place, unless Houston decides that they don't want to win it either. Um, nevertheless, what's going to happen is Naheem Hines is going to be a very underrated and very utilized weapon by one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL and Josh Allen. And I'm telling you right now, James, you know, for a team that's just so known for its passing game, the running game just got better in Buffalo. Well, I mean, when are playoff games played? In one of the coldest months, it's windy, it's cold, it's snowy, and the best thing you can do is run the ball. You've got to have a a, a good ground game and a good defense when it comes to the playoffs. We, we always talk about that offense sells tickets and defense wins championships. You know, also being able to run the ball effectively. I mean, that's one of the things that um, if you go back and look in the past, whether it was the Rams last year, whether it was uh, the Ravens earlier in the in the decade, or when you go back to the you know a team like the Giants, you know they you you had a good running game, and and that's what is helping the Giants this year is you know Saquon Barkley. You're able to run the ball and control control the clock and control tempo, and that's how you win games. So being able to go out and get a, game, a guy like Naheem Hines is huge for the Bills, and you gotta you gotta feel good for that guy. You know he he busted his tail for the Colts over the last you know 
two, three years, and then he's going from one of the worst teams in the league to one of the best. And, uh, you know, it's good to see guys like that get rewarded. He also is an extremely uh, – he's extremely well-versed in the passing game. He can catch the ball, receive it out of the backfield, and, he, and he's explosive. So the Bills certainly won that trade. Uh, you know, Zach Moss – the Bills really got away from using him. Of course, he had some injury issues at the end of last year too. But uh, you know, maybe just a start, or, you know, starting over in Indianapolis for him will help out as well. But I really feel like the Colts, and they've kind of wait, they're waving the white flag already this year. They've got to get, they've got to get things together because you're wasting a wonderful career in Jonathan Taylor. They really are, and the running back. Committee in Buffalo now is going to consist of Devin Singletary, um, James Cook, and Naheem Hines. Hines, I guarantee, will be playing the backup, and he'll be getting more looks as a backup than uh, James Cook did because of his ability to make plays out of the backfield as a receiving threat. Well, um, and, he, and I can also see him as a, as a third down back as well because he is yeah. good in pass protection. Right, and – among and I believe in the, in the past four years, I believe Naheem Hines is fifth in the league among running backs in uh, receiving yardage. So that right there just shows you know how much of a dangerous threat he is. And look, you give Josh Allen even more uh, ammunition. I mean, watch out AFC. And sure. speaking of running backs that got traded, so this is where it gets really interesting. So the Dolphins parted ways with running back Chase Edmonds. Now, Edmonds was supposed to be the big star this year for the Miami Dolphins. Well, enter Raheem Mostert, who comes in from the 49ers and just absolutely leaves Edmonds in the dust. Uh, Miles Gaskin was supposed to be a really good backup. Hasn't really done much this year for Miami either. It's been I forgot he played for him. Right. It's been Raheem Mostert's season this entire season. Um, so... Now, meanwhile, go to San Francisco. You got Jeff Wilson, uh, Jeff Wilson Jr., I should say, who had themselves, who's had himself a pretty phenomenal season up to the point because of all the injuries that's been going on with Eli Mitchell and everything. Well, then what happens? The 49ers trade for Christian McCaffrey. And just like that, the Jeff Wilson show was over. <laughs> so what happens? The uh the 40 or not the 49ers, the Dolphins acquire um, Jeff Wilson from the Niners and the 49ers received a fifth round pick from Miami in exchange. And we're going to get into later the amount of draft pick swing arounds the Miami Dolphins have done because what they have done with the picks they've had that they don't have anymore. They went from basically having three first-round picks to none. Um, but two of those first-round picks, one at least one of them, turned into Tyreek Hill. Um, and we'll get into that later. But I want to I want to get your thoughts on the, on the Miami running back situation and how they now have just added somebody else to basically back up Raheem Mostert. Well, Miami obviously isn't buying the narrative that they think that the Buffalo Bills are just going to run away with a championship. And, you know, in that kind of an offense, obviously uh, their head coach, Mike McDaniels, uh, or, yeah, uh, very he's familiar with him. You know, he was the OC in San Francisco under Kyle Shanahan over the last couple of years. So he knows Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, you're talking about an explosive back that can help spell some of the carries for Raheem Mostert. Uh, 
Uh, funny enough, both of their starting running backs were in San Francisco and played there under McDaniels. Uh, so, you, you know, you, you've got those guys. He's got familiarity there. And uh, you're right. Uh, I'll just go ahead and comment about their their draft pick status now. You know, I really think that what the Rams did last year, okay, by throwing all their picks out there, getting bringing in top-level players, kind of set a template that says, hey, look, you know, you don't necessarily have to wait and, and, and draft players to, you know, build your team. You can use that as, you know, tradable equity and, and go out and get the players that you need and be successful then. Nobody is – in the NFL is really looking at the three to five year window anymore. It's, it's the same as in real life. Everybody wants this instant gratification. The Dolphins, by making the trade to get Jeff Wilson Jr., obviously we'll talk about the Bradley Chubb trade here in just a second. You know, they went out there and said, look, we want to win now. We're not buying the narrative that Buffalo's the best team in the division. Matter of fact, we've already beat them. Yes, I know Buffalo didn't have all of their defensive starters, but a win's a win's a win, and you can't take that away from them. So they're just trying to strengthen their offense give themselves good depth pieces there and then, you know, add to the defense that's already very stout. You're absolutely right. And I look at what it's perfect transition into uh, Bradley Chubb. So Bradley Chubb, best pass rusher on the Broncos as of before the trade deadline. And the Miami Dolphins ranked last in the NFL in sacks. They still do. Meanwhile, you know, Miami has this one of these first-round picks, and you're talking about the instant gratification. Forget the five-year window. Okay, well, fine. Here we go. What happens? The Dolphins sent a deal with to Denver that includes the 2023 first-round pick and a 2024 fourth-rounder yep. to the Broncos for Bradley Chubb and a 2025 fifth-round pick. Now, Bradley Chubb has five-and-a-half sacks this year. The Dolphins don't have a player with over three. Yep. I this is one of the biggest happened yesterday. Um and surprising moves from the aspect of trading within the conference, you know, and also when you look at a team like Denver, who has been so bad on offense, their defense is what's been keeping them in these games. And now you trade away your best pass rusher. And you're in the toughest division, arguably, in the NFL, um, or at least in one of them. The NFC East has surprised everybody. But right. I digress. So it's hard to say. I, this is an instant boost to the Dolphins. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Everybody knows that. And, you know, we've talked about this before the show, but this really makes Miami a true threat because yep. – well, the games that they've won are because of their offense. You know, defensively, they have been through hell this season, um, injury-wise or other. But here they come now with Bradley Chubb coming in, and, you know, the Dolphins have themselves quite a schedule up ahead. You know, you're going to be facing Cleveland Browns a couple weeks. You know, obviously you're going to want to have a pass rush or at least a great uh, front seven against Nick Chubb. Um, they also got the, the 49ers, they got the Bills, they got the Chargers. I mean, you're going to be facing some really good running games, but on top of that, you're going to be facing guys like Justin Herbert and Josh Allen again. Yep. You know, you need to have this pass rush ready. And Bradley Chubb's also very good in coverage. So he can, he's a dual threat linebacker. So it works perfectly. 
Miami really went all in on this trade deadline and they have a really good chance of reaping the benefits in the, in the short term and the long term. Yeah, they, they certainly do. And you're right. I mean, you want a good edge rusher that can help contain a, a, a scrambling quarterback or, you know, shut down a running game and, and Bradley Chubb can do that. I, I think it's, that's funny, you know, all both of Denver's pass rushers or Ed rushers, however you want to refer to them as over the last two years and Von Miller and, and Bradley Chubb have found their way to the AFC East. So, you know, the the Broncos defense is going to have to be rebuilt through the draft. You know, I, I don't put a lot of stock in their offense. Russell Wilson didn't show me much in that game against Jacksonville in London. You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I'm sure he feels like he's back and he's ready for Broncos nation to ride again, but uh, I'm not, I'm not, there's nothing on that team that shows me otherwise that that team's ready to win now. So yeah. kudos to the Dolphins. And yeah, or as uh, Russell Wilson likes to say, Broncos country, let's ride. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, so then we get to the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now, the Washington Commanders have quite a bit of stuff going on right now. And this was stuff we're going to have to cover over the next week. Um. <sighs> And, oh, well, we got a question in from uh, Chuck on where is the jury on Justin Herbert? Is he legit or has the NFL figured him out? You want to start there, Jeremy? Yeah, I definitely (laughs) – well, first, here's this. I do like this. Jaguars country, let's cry. As a Browns fan, I I feel that a lot. Um, Okay, so we're going to keep this question up here. Is he legit or has the NFL figured him out? I say in between. I think he is a really talented quarterback. So you're going to sit on the fence here. I'm going to sit on the fence on this one, but I am leaning to towards more of the NFL figuring him out. I think he does have a lot more hype to him. I do, I, I got to think of where I literally just had this conversation a few days ago with one of my uh, dear friends. Um, and do I think he's a top 10 quarterback? Yes. Do I think he's closer to the 10 than the 1? Yes. And that's my big thing out of this. Heading into the season, a lot of people were hyping him up as a top 5 QB, if not even higher than that. I don't see Herbert there. Um, This has also been a more rough year, given the injuries to literally anybody that's on offense on the Los Angeles Chargers. Whether you're Keenan Allen, who you who most fans forget, or is even still in the NFL, uh, Mike Williams, uh, Gerald Everett, Josh Palmer, Jalen Guyton, you know Austin Eckler, at some point or another, all these guys have gotten hurt. That's not on Herbert, but that does affect him. And uh, one of the big things about a quarterback and what makes you successful in the NFL is the ability to adapt to certain situations. I don't think he's adapted as well as other quarterbacks have. How can you how can you ask him to adapt when his head coach is going for it on every fourth down or puts him in a bad situation to succeed? It's it's not it's not the fact that the NFL has figured him out. He can't defeat his own head coach. Brandon Staley is a defensive coach. He was a defensive coordinator with the Rams before he took the job with the Chargers. He is he, he should stay as a coordinator. He's he's not a head coach. I put him in the same category as Nathaniel Hackett. And, you know, so, I mean, the situation is it's not this has nothing to do with Justin Herbert. His head coach isn't putting him in a situation for him to succeed. I mean, if if Joe Burrow was in 
Los Angeles and was under center for the Chargers, he's having the same issues. And, and, and you see this with a lot of younger quarterbacks that get stuck with these young head coaches. But you could argue that with Jared Goff and Sean McVay. Goff didn't get the Rams to the Super Bowl that year. Their defense did. They won many times in spite of golf. You also had Todd Gurley back there in the backfield. This happens when you have younger head coaches that have young quarterbacks that they see as toys and they want to make things flashy and they want to make things pretty and they want to make things where it, it draws in fans. No, this the problem with Justin Herbert is not Justin Herbert at all. It's not even the rest of the league. It's that his boneheaded head coach puts him in situations where he doesn't succeed. And then when you don't get it on fourth and 25 or whatever the hell the down and distance is, it may it looks bad on the quarterback because he can't convert. Well, why doesn't Brandon Staley put him in a situation to be successful? This is the thing. I look at Justin Herbert and heading into the season, um, he had a 15 and 17 record as a starter. First off, yes, Brandon Staley, I look. Like I said, the fact that a few weeks ago they even beat Cleveland, given the boneheaded calls that Brandon Staley made, was nothing but a freaking miracle. Um, and this is something that's been a Brandon Staley staple over and the, head the past couple of years. And the head coach that Herbert had there before Staley didn't do him any favors either. Well, and in his first two seasons with the Chargers, he's had an over 66% completion percentage. He's had almost 10,000 yards, 69 touchdowns, and 25 picks. Like I said, we're excluding this year so far. Last year, he had a 5,000-plus yard season that got him into the Pro Bowl. Um, he was second in the league behind Brady. Like I said, I feel he's the top 10 quarterback. Why is that all of a sudden such a bad thing? What? Why? Because you're not on the same level as Josh Allen or Pat Mahomes. Suddenly, you're a bad quarterback. No, not at all. Because guess what? There's not many quarterbacks that could be in the situation Justin Herbert is in and succeed. But I also do feel like he's still a young quarterback with a lot to learn. And this it's this thing where he he was drafted to a team that had a lot of weapons and he's already thrived with it. Get put him on a team in a complete rebuild. Put him on the Texans without Hopkins, with with only Brandon. Uh, Cooks and Damian Pierce. Let me see how he does. I don't think he does nearly as well. That's just how I look at it. And I don't think you could. A... Go ahead. No, I'm just saying. I think Justin Herbert's a top ten quarterback. I think he's a great quarterback, and I think he has a lot ahead of him. I wouldn't even say overrated as a much as overpraised. There is a difference. I think he's overpraised because he's not overrated because the talent is there. We've seen how well he plays. Not just passing, but mobility-wise as well. He's not a sitting duck. He definitely has the legs to get moving as well. I just feel, I mean, he's only 24 years old. So he has a, if, you know, he's also fortunate to have one of the best tackles in the league in Rashawn Slater to keep him protected. Um, but nevertheless, I do feel like the third season is always one of the most difficult seasons for an NFL quarterback. And right, especially, you know, Herbert is in a position where the Chargers are clinging on to just getting to the playoffs. They are not living up to the expectations that were given to them heading into the season. You know, 
you have the best dual threat running back in the NFL, in my opinion, in Austin Eckler. Nobody is a more the only other person I put with him is Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones and Austin Eckler, two best dual threat running backs. Um, like I said, you got a bunch of receivers that would be number one receivers on other teams, but they just happen to be on the same team. You got underrated guys like Josh Palmer, um, Jalen Guyton, who before he got injured was, you know, going to make a big impact. The Chargers are a very unique team. So when you say, what is the jury on Justin Herbert? The sentence hasn't even officially been made yet. I don't think you can really pass it down, but I'm sitting on the fence, leaning towards the NFL figuring him out for multiple circumstances. But like I say, I do feel he's legit. I do feel he's top 10. And he's shown me nothing that would make me change my mind about that. So that's where I'm at. Well, I, I, you know, you look at his last game, and I know you took this year out of his statistics earlier, but, I mean, against Seattle on the 23rd, you know, he completes 64.7% of his passes, 293 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception, and they got blasted by Seattle. And then, you know, you look at the game before that, you know, they lose to the Broncos. But just, like, altogether, I mean, he's thrown for 12 touchdowns and four interceptions. The other thing is, too, is, like, there are many times that – you know, he could be successful and have a lead and his defense blows it. That's where it's hard to look at because, you know, record-wise, you know, how many games did the defense blow last year? You know, I, I think of that the game in December on the Thursday night where the Chargers had the Chiefs beat and Brandon Staley was his own worst enemy going forward on fourth down again and they're going for two and they didn't execute either time and they yeah. get a loss. So, you know, I he, he's a top-10 quarterback. I think that his problem is coaching. I really do. You put him, if you take him out of Los Angeles, I almost said San Diego again. You take him out of Los mm -hmm. Angeles and put him on a team like the Steelers or put him on a team like um, a team like the Atlanta Falcons or, uh, you know, these teams that are thriving with the kind of systems that they play in. I mean, you know, I, I think he'd be a lot better. I just... I, he a lot of it's coaching. He's got to get away from Brandon Staley, and you know he may not have a decision in that or a choice in that. But the way Brandon Staley is going, he's going to make it real easy for uh, the San Diego. See, I did it again. The Los Angeles Chargers to get rid of him. I'm still, I still will never get used to saying that. I won't. I still miss the the uh, San Diego Chargers. Screw Los Angeles when it comes to football. You know the thing of it is. And then we'll get right after this. We can get right back to the um, NFL trade deadline. The NFL has this mindset, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand what it is. You win by the quarterback, you lose by the quarterback. Right. Reality, it's a team game. I mean, logically, it's a team game. You just said it yourself. Look at Justin Herbert's stats this year, but look at how bad the defense has been playing. You know, like you win, but – at the end of the day, whenever you see all these guys, all the analysts and the writers who talk about these quarterbacks and their legacies, they always point to the win-loss records. Right. You know, look, here, here's a perfect example. I'm going to give you a guy that, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of a number one. Okay, here we go. I got a perfect one. Here, This guy went for through for over 46 thousand passing yards he threw 275 touchdowns 
had a 75 passer rating, was a pro bowler and a Heisman Trophy winner, national champion. But he had a winning percentage of 42.3%. Do you know who I'm talking about? Mm, I'm sitting here thinking, did he ever win a Super Bowl? No. Well, I mean, are, are, are is this Dan Marino? No. Dan Marino had a 42% winning percentage. Oh, hell. Oh, I guess I, I, guess um, I missed that part. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, that's kind geez. of the root point of where I was getting at. His winning percentage is 42% or 42.3%. Mark, Mark Bolger. <laughs> no, it's Vinny Testaverde. My God, I was thinking that too, and I didn't. Vinny Testaverde, I did not go there. 21 years in the NFL, um, you know, top 10 in multiple passing categories, but he also had 123 losses as a starting quarterback. And when you look at his legacy, that's what they look on. Yeah. They look on the fact that he was a loser for 123 starts. You know, they don't talk about the accomplishments he had. You don't talk about the stats, the really successful stats that he had. That's just what it is. That's how football works. It should be a team sport. It is a team sport. And yet somehow the quarterback gets all the praise and all the criticism. You know, well, it's just. He had to get something. He had to get something to wear those cream sickle Tampa Bay Buccaneers jerseys. Well, Brady plays <laughs> next year. He'll get to wear them too. <laughs> Nevertheless, back to the trade. Down. So, thank you, uh, Chuck, for sending in that question. I appreciate it. And keep sending in your questions, folks. We we definitely love getting the feedback from the fans. Um, going back to the trade deadline. So we got two moves from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now you had mentioned James about how the steel or how about how the Green Bay Packers did not make a move. This is where it gets interesting. So the Packers were going in on Chase Claypool, the wide receiver on the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Well, another team in their division was as well, the Chicago Bears. Pittsburgh traded Chase Claypool to the Bears um, for a, if, let me, if I can remember. Was it a fourth? I'm trying to figure that. Yeah. Uh, damn, I I thought I had it. Um, well, nevertheless, while we find that out, they traded um, Claypool to the Bears mm-hmm. because they felt the Bears would have a worse record than the Packers at the end of the season. And Jack's history put up a second <laughs> is involved in that. So basically because the Packers are considered more historic, um, the – the Packers lost out on Chase Claypool. So just think, if they had tanked this season, they would have gotten Claypool at the trade deadline. But nope, the Bears now have him, which we'll talk about how that benefits the Bears. But let's talk about how um, this affects the Steelers, who are dead last in the AFC North at 2-6. and six, And it's not getting any easier for them coming up. They have a bye week this week, which is merciful for them at the very least. You mean they've played but, this year? Yeah. You know, everybody Every thought week. Najee Harris was going to be the big uh Poor big kid. star. But because you don't have a true passing game, because either Mitch Trubisky isn't playing well or Kenny Pickett's not playing well. Just load Harris up the box. Is, right. They load up the box and Harris is stuffed at the line. And, you know, they can't get good blocking on the outside. So 
what happens? The linebackers and the corners on other teams will get them there as well. So how Harris would, has had a struggling season. How would you like to be Najee Harris? Win national championships in college at the University of Alabama and then go to this dumpster fire? Well, and the thing of it is, it didn't have to be a dumpster fire. The Steelers made it a dumpster fire, which is so not Steeler-like. This is no. a funny thing. Remember, Mike, a Tom, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record. Well, Mike Tomlin's never had a losing record is one thing. And he's been coaching since like 2008 or 2007, yep. um, which drives me nuts to think about that he's not had a losing record as a head coach. Sure. Meanwhile, okay. you you take a look at the fact that Steelers are known for consistency. We've t- just mentioned it, consistently winning, consistently having the same quarterback, consistently uh, with coaching. Like Steelers are meant are merited on winning and consistency. Um, and we're actually going to get to this comment soon, uh, Jags history. So just hang in there. But th- with the Steelers, now all of a sudden everything fell apart. Big Ben retired. T.J. Watt, your star defense, former defensive player of the year, injured, missed, has missed almost the entire season. He's everything since um, week two. He missed week two and beyond. They're hoping he's back after the bye, but you know we'll see how it goes. They have one of the worst pass defenses in the league. They can't get the run game going. They have one of the worst pass offenses in the league. They can't get that going. You know, Kenny Pickett, make fun of his size of his hands all you want, but one way or another, he cannot move the ball. Um, George Pickens is one of the few bright spots on this team. And uh, the Muth, Pat Freermuth, their tight end, their rookie tight end, has been another bright spot. But the Steelers are a mess, and now they ship off Chase Claypool, who has been – one of their more consistent weapons or somebody you could at least have there, especially now that Juju Smith-Schuster left in the offseason to go to the Kansas City Chiefs. So the Steelers are a mess, but then you flip it over to the Bears. Justin Fields needs help because holy hell is that offense a mess. Well, I mean, Justin Fields does need help, and I, I was kind of impressed with the fact that they were able to move the ball as well as they did against Dallas on Sunday. And I I mean, obviously you lose that game, but you know, the idea with Justin Fields is you've got to be able to progress as the season goes on. And he, and he's showing that he can do that both with his arm and his legs. You know, I I think trading Claypool to Chicago does two things here. I mean, obviously the second round draft pick that's involved here would be a higher pick, but I think it also frees up money and, and frees up the spot on the depth chart uh, to make George Pickens your number one receiver. And, and I think that's what they're hoping for is the same thing that happened with Joey Burrow and, and you know, whether it's Jamar Chase or T. Higgins at this point with, with Chase being out, that they want that number one connection. So, uh, you know, obviously the Steelers win this, or I'm sorry, the Bears win this draft in terms of player uh, right now with the immediate impact that Chase Claypool can provide Justin Fields. But the Steelers may very well win this trade when it comes down to it uh, in the long run that's very true and you know we'll go in more depth about how the bears have absolutely imploded their team as well um but yeah we're going to talk about the washington commanders in 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 two ways first we're going to talk about the the steelers acquiring william jackson the third who when we talk about disgruntled players, I mean, William Jackson was absolutely disgruntled. He could not stand being in Washington. There were such high hopes from him coming from Cincinnati. 
Um, and he has had five receptions in 75 career games, 205 tackles. Um, and last year he signed a three-year deal with the commanders, but it just hasn't worked out. So now he comes back to the Steelers. Um, and you know, we're trying to figure out the details of the trade, but while all that's going on, Jack's history brought it up. Dan Snyder has finally publicly admitted that he is looking to sell the franchise. And well, whether it did, be a piece of it or the full franchise. That's what I was going to say because not, I, right, I'm not saying he's going to sell the whole thing. He is debating, debating and he's talked with a bunch of bakers um that he's hired from I forget which firms whatnot, but he hired a bunch of bankers and they're all discussing all these possible options whether to sell the franchise as just a piece or a whole, you know, as the whole franchise. And it, the team's a mess. There's just, oh, my gosh, I feel bad There's for Taylor Heineke. Absolutely no way in hell I sell my franchise. There are 32 pieces of gold in the NFL. And whether you like Dan Snyder or you don't, whether you like Jerry Jones or you don't, whether you like Stan Kroenke or you don't, you see, there's and a I don't. there's a pattern here, but there's absolutely no way in hell I sell my franchise. Absolutely no way. Now you may you may think that I'm approving of everything Dan Snyder does. That's not the case. I didn't say that. There's absolutely no way I'm selling one of those pieces of gold. I, I just I think that being an NFL owner. Well, first and foremost, a lot of these guys think that they're above everybody, that they sit on the right hand of God, and that's not the case. Excuse me. If that offends you, I apologize. Hashtag not sorry. So anyway, <laughs> the point being is if I were to sell my piece of the pie in a sense, that means I'm admitting that everything I've done in my professional career in the NFL is wrong, right? Look. That man wouldn't admit he was wrong if God was staring him in his face. So it doesn't matter what he does now. I mean, yeah, he changed the name of the franchise. That should have been enough to suffice, but I think he only did it to be like, hey, look at me, pat myself on the back. But if I'm personally, I'm not selling it. I mean, I, I understand if you want to sell minor, minority shares, and that's kind of what I saw this morning, that the, the jury is still out on whether or not he's going to sell the entire franchise. But I just, I just, to he's he would be admitting to the good old boys club that he, everything he's done is wrong. I just don't see him doing that. But me personally, there's no way in hell I'm selling one of those pieces of gold off because that's one of those things. First and foremost, if I was an owner of an NFL franchise, I sure as hell wouldn't have conducted business the way he has. Right. Well, the, you look at the Broncos, who's when they got sold uh, earlier, they were sold for a record. I believe four point six billion dollars, well over four billion dollars. That much I do know. Now Dan Snyder and them wanted to value the Commanders at five plus billion dollars. First off, I'm going to tell you this right now: you ain't getting shit from them for five billion dollars. Dan Snyder, you are not getting that. I'm just saying it right now. Um, the minority share method would be a lot easier than anything because to get somebody to purchase that entire dumpster fire of an organization um especially given all the pr hell that you would have to endure 
Um, I look at the franchise. You know, you say you would never, no way would you sell that piece of gold. I look at it, to quote a uh, famous wrestler, everybody has a price. Um, you know, if the right price came my way, I would sell it. Or at the very least, sell shares of it. Well, but I understand to go up to these guys like Jerry Jones and Cronky and Kraft and, you know, freaking all of them and the Ford family who sit sleeping in their owner's table because they don't know how to run a football organization and say to themselves or say to them, hey, everything I did that was wrong was wrong. I messed up big time. I admit, yeah, I I see that perspective. If you're Dan Snyder, you're too prideful for that. You know, Dan Snyder has l fought this long and this hard to keep this team. There's no way he would just go out and give it all up. So I do get you on that. But I feel like if the right price comes along, he's at least going to give up some of it. Yeah. I, I can definitely see that. And um, we'll definitely be keeping tabs on how that goes um over the next few weeks and i also heard brett Favre was going to buy a stake in it so he can uh, screw over the people of mississippi more no um i that that's your weekly reminder that brett Favre is a terrible human being for what he did to the citizens of mississippi hashtag brett, still a dirtbag hashtag still a dirtbag um but hey who cares he's a little famer no screw that um, okay, back to the trade deadline. This, you know, one thing I've avoided doing a lot in, um, what, like when I play Madden or something, you play Madden as well. Um, we avoid trading within division. Yep. It, it's logical as to why, you know, why give somebody in your division a better player? I guess the... Detroit Lions did not get that message because they literally traded their star tight end, one of the best tight ends in the NFL, to the Minnesota Vikings, who already have Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, uh, Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson. They already have a high-octane offense as it is. So, yeah, let's just give them a star tight end. So, yes, um, the Lions traded TJ Hawkinson to the Vikings receiving a second round pick in 2023 and a third round pick in 2024. Um, in the deal, Detroit also sent two fourth round picks back to Minnesota in the deal. Okay, so let me just uh, ask you this, James. What is going on in Detroit? Well, I, I don't know. That one kind of surprised me too. I did not expect TJ Hawkinson to be on his way to the Twin Cities. But it, it, what what this does is obviously Minnesota, their tight end, Irv Smith Jr., has been out with injuries, been injury-plagued throughout the season, and they want a, a hard-nosed tight end that can get into the dirty areas and catch passes and not afraid to go over the middle. He's also a wonderful corner and red zone threat uh, down in inside the 20s. So, you know, in Detroit's defense, and, and I, I don't know if – there's really a defense for them here. I understand that TJ Hawkinson was going to cost an arm and a leg after the season he's had. 
in his next contract, he was going to make his money. And and I can only say that Detroit feels definitely that they're more than just one player away or a big draft away because of, you know, one player. I mean, when you're talking about a guy that's going to be a presumptive free agent at the end of the year and he's going to cost you a, a ton, yeah, you're going to – you have no problem sending. I mean, it's the same thing like, you know, if I'm the, the Cardinals and I wanted to trade a, you know, a rental player away – to, you know, maybe the, the Reds or the, the Pirates or whatever, knowing that, you know, they're not going to re-sign him at the end of the year because they can't afford him either. So, you know, Hawkinson goes to Minnesota. He's got a chance to win. Obviously, the first place Minnesota Vikings, because we all had that on our damn bingo card. Um, and he'll have a chance to win there and help that high-octane offense that otherwise has sputtered when they've gotten to postseason play. And then you look at, you know, it also is similar to Kareem Hunt, who surprisingly did not get traded. He has one year left. Well, this is the last year on his deal. He's expected to become a free agent. Um, he's He requested a trade order in the season. He had one of his best games of the season this past Monday night when the Browns beat the Bengals. Right. Um, and I almost looked at it as a showcase game. It was the way for the Browns to show, showcase Kareem Hunt and his talents um, to other teams. You know, they were willing to go as low as a fourth-round pick. I mean, you know, if you were going to offer them a couple fours or a fourth and a fifth, I'm sure they would have taken it. So I'm surprised, you know, that nothing came of that. But I'm – Detroit – you know, this is how I look at it. They got the coach. They got the right coach. Dan Campbell is great. He's one of my favorite coaches in the league. But you need to win more than a game – a month they are one and six right now because they've had their bye they are one and six and you know they've just absolutely imploded on offense now they've had injuries that haven't helped but nevertheless this the detroit lions are just a mess that that's just the best way i can describe it i i expected the Chicago Bears to be doing what the Detroit Lions are doing, but somehow the Bears are really grinding through and and pulling out some games. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with their schedule, but also I think it also has to do with the fact that Justin Fields is a better quarterback than Jared Goff, and that's not to take anything away from Goff. Goff has had a Goff has actually had a pretty good season. The Detroit Lions, their offense was near the top of the league in points scored. Problem is, is their defense was the worst in points per game allowed. So, you know, you're not going to win very many games like that, but you, they're showing progress over there. I mean, you know, Detroit is one of those teams that they just, they can't close out games. I mean, they had the Eagles on the ropes earlier in the year. They had the Cowboys on the ropes earlier in the year. You know, the, they are they are a team that, I mean, hell, they, they've, they've had so many of these teams on the ropes and they've just not been able to deliver the knockout punch. I mean, they don't have the Rocky Balboa in them, I guess, to to bring the the Southpaw left and knock you out. And what you're seeing is it's it's costing them now. Again, they're showing progress. And right now, with how bad Detroit's been in the last, geez, since I remember watching football, you know, they are showing progress. So you, it's like you look at this year, and I was sold on on Campbell because of hard knocks and 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 some of the statements he made about you know biting kneecaps and everything else, you know, that's the kind of coach that you want to run, run through a wall for. So we'll see. I mean, it's going to be one, it's one of those things. They remind me a lot. And, and Jeremy, you can attest to this because we saw this back in 2010 with the Rams, Sam Bradford, 
good quarterback. The Rams, yeah, they had a chance to get to the playoffs. They really did. They lost to Charlie Whitehurst and the Seattle Seahawks on a Sunday oh. night to in oh. you know Sunday night or to end the season. So you look at that and go, man, there were so many games during that season that they had a chance to win, and they ripped the feet from the jaws of victory, if you will. So you know the Lions can show progress, and if they continue to do so, then they should be on their way. But you do have the right head coach there, which you got to start somewhere. You cannot build a house without a foundation. You, you know, I'm glad you said that about you can't build a house without a foundation. Because who's the foundation of the Chicago Bears? Because here's why. Two days ago, the Baltimore Ravens got one of the best inside linebackers. When they traded uh, a second and fifth round pick in 2023 for Roquan, Roquan Smith. Smith. Yeah. Now we already know. Now Roquan Smith has an eight has eighty three tackles. It's which, week nine, James. Which, which oddly enough, if I may, here he was at the podium when he found out that Robert Quinn was traded from the Bears to the Eagles. That's he choked true. up, choked up, had a hard time, almost broke down in tears, and then two days later, he's on his way to Baltimore now and is a Raven. I, I find that really odd and i don't understand look i understand that the bears are trying to build assets you just got rid of two of your 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 best or better front seven players we know robert quinn from his time in st louis kid has a high motor he he was he i mean he, at one point in time he was the the sack leader since you know obviously back in you go back to deacon jones's era they didn't calculate or keep up with the stat uh of of sacks but, I mean, at one point in time, he was the sack leader before uh, Aaron Donald broke that record. And so I just – I don't understand. I don't get it. I understand accumulating assets. But what did I say earlier? Offense sells tickets. Defense wins championships. Go back to the go back to the Super Bowl last year. Aaron Donald doesn't get to Joe Burrow on that play. I'm not – I don't have a Super Bowl hoodie championship hoodie in my closet because – Ramsey had gotten burnt. He had fallen down on the play. Burrow throws the ball. It's over. But Aaron Donald got to Joe Burrow, and I jumped up and down. So you have to look at it that way. You have to, uh, again, it's it's flashy and everything. It's great. The Bills offense flashy. The Chiefs offense flashy. Thankfully for them, they had the defense the year they won the Super Bowl. And the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew Emmanuel Sanders. But when you look at it, you have to have a defensive foundation. I have no clue what the Bears are doing, but this isn't anything new. We both know this. The Bears and, and, and GM Ryan Pace, what the hell's he been doing for the last five years? There's just been so much turnover with the Chicago Bears. I mean, shoot, it's gotten so bad that the turnover is now affecting the stadium too, because they're going to be leaving Soldier Field and going to Arlington Heights in a few years. So my I mean, my question is, how, who's going to be there to sell tickets? Because remember, they 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 pretty much mortgaged their future defensively for when they sent Khalil Mack away. So I was going to say, at one I point, mean, what you the literally hell? had Khalil Mack and Roquan right. Smith, and you got Robert Quinn, who was one of the sack leaders last season. I mean, let's not act like Robert Quinn is some washed-up DN. This dude is still at the top of his game. Um, I feel bad. I feel bad for Eddie Jackson. He's the only decent defensive player they have left. And the Bears are a franchise predicated on dominant defense. You think right. they won the, the Super Bowl? Bears? 
The 85 Bears did not win the Super Bowl because of their offense. And that's saying something because Walter Payton was the running back. It was because they had a defense where four Hall of Famers were on it. Yeah, Jim McMahon certainly did not throw them to a Super Bowl championship that year. Exactly. And if you want to get technical, and, and granted this is Mike Dicka's biggest regret, but the defense had more rushing touchdowns for the Bears in the Super Bowl than the offense did. Because Walter Payton didn't score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. William Perry did. Yeah. So, um, nevertheless, yes, this that, that – and yet that is not even the most shocking trade. It's I, I think it is the second most shocking trade. Because – and I'll tell you why. Because the Bears are just poorly run. They feel like they're going to stock up on picks. And the Ravens were, are really desperate for a linebacker to really help their defense out right now. So it was a good move for Baltimore, without a shadow of a doubt. They got arguably one of the top five linebackers in the league right now. Yep. But the most shocking move in the trade deadline was a move that literally nobody expected. And I, I really cannot believe this has happened. So last year, um, Calvin Ridley... Uh, the Atlanta Falcons took some time off, you know. Um, I bet and, you did. Yeah. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then he was he found out he got suspended for all this season for betting on NFL games, which yep. I don't think it's a big deal. But what the hell do I know? We did a whole, uh, basically a whole episode on sports gambling a few weeks ago. Um, less. Hope you won more money than I have lately. Yeah. No kidding. Um, meanwhile, the Jacksonville Jaguars traded for Calvin Ridley, and everybody's jaws just dropped. So, and it's still not – it's very complicated. But basically, it could include a 2023 fifth rounder and a 2024 second rounder involved in all this mess. And obviously, if you're the Jaguars, great. Trevor Lawrence, just who is already on such a – Short thread, small thread as it is. There is not much of the Trevor Lawrence show left. And you may Overrated. be like, what is it? Well, maybe it's like, oh, isn't he? It's just like his second year. Yeah, but guess what? His first year was bad, and his second year isn't too great either. Overrated. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but now the Jaguars are finally getting some offensive weapons around him. You got Christian Kirk, the 74-something million-dollar man. You got <laughs> you, you got Travis Etienne, who is way better than James Robinson, who got shipped off to the Jets. You got um, Marvin Jones, who is finding second life. You got Evan Ingram. Now you got Calvin Ridley, a bona fide number one wide receiver. And if you are the Falcons, you are left scratching your heads because, wait a minute, Think about this. Now, Mariota's the starting quarterback. But next year, let's just say rookie Desmond Ritter uh, is the starting quarterback. You will have Desmond Ritter, possibly Cordero Patterson, Tyler Algier, Kyle Pitts, Drake London, and you could have had Calvin Ridley still. I mean, come on. You're going to need an offense because Lord knows it ain't like the defense is allowed to do anything or they'll get flagged for 15 yards. But Calvin Ridley will be a year older. He has not been playing football, so he's gonna. it's going to take a while for him to get back into football shape. You have to hope that he comes into camp in shape. 
And because he's not been taking a beating, sure, that's great. Because it means his body, you would think, would be rested. The other problem is, too, is what happens if, because he's not been on a football field taking hits and making football moves, what happens if he cuts for the first time and tears an ACL, tears an MCL? I mean, he's not taking hits, which is great, right? Can't get concussions or or broken bones or or anything else like that. But we, we've also seen guys that have come in off the streets, you know, non-contact injuries. You know, that's something you got to worry about too. But I just, look, I love Calvin Ridley. Played at the University of Alabama. Won a national championship. Love Calvin Ridley. I don't know if he, I want to look at, compare him to other Alabama receivers that have come up. Devontae Smith in Philadelphia. Jamison Williams in Detroit, which we have yet to see his impact. Um, I just, there's a part of me, I mean, Jalen Waddell, obviously, he has had one hell of a year. He's definitely had a coming out party this year. Yeah, just a little bit, right? Um, I just I just wonder if Calvin Ridley is, is good enough to be a number one receiver and, and be on that echelon. I just, if he doesn't have the discipline of not betting on NFL games, which is a problem because it says in every NFL locker room, don't bet on your own sport. I mean, it's the same thing in every locker room across America, whether it's hockey, baseball, basketball, whatever else. Don't bet on your own sport. So if he didn't have the discipline to do that, how is he going to have the discipline to stay in football shape while he's not playing football? Uh, we'll just have to see and find out. Like I said, there's more complex details. Yeah, that, that the Falcons left themselves an out in that trade. Certainly, uh, you know, skating out the back door, if you will, in case things go south there. Well, speaking of skating and things that have gone south. Yeah, I knew. Well, first, folks, thank you so much for tuning in to Roundabout Sports. I am the maestro Jeremy Carp. He's Hollywood James Knox. And we just got done talking about the NFL trade deadline and a lot more. But now it's time, and James is going to be taking the lead on this one because I, I can see it. He's, he's repping the gear, and his soul is hurting while yeah. he's repping it. I, so, yeah. folks, you ever listen to Elton John, and you hear the song, I guess that's why they call it the blues. That about sums up the St. Louis Blues season so far. After uh -huh. going 3-0, they've lost five straight. And they've allowed 18 goals in three games. Yeah. And a lot of people are mad at the Perioke, Colton Perioko extension. A lot of people are talking about benching Benny, firing this person, that person, just doing an overhaul. You're eight games in the season, so obviously you're not trying to do that. But, James, I'm going to shoot it over to you. What is, A, what is wrong with the Blues? And, B, what do they need to do before it gets worse? Well, you look at a situation here where in the last three games they have allowed six, they've allowed 18 goals. Uh, the game against Los Angeles on Monday night, uh, I, I real Jordan Bennington obviously hung out to dry uh, on the first four goals. There's absolutely nothing he could have done uh, about either of them. Um, as a goaltender, you're taught, you know, to square yourself up to the to the shot, and uh, you know, you stop what you see. Uh, the Blues, I, I don't know if they're tweaking with something inside the defensive zone, but obviously it hasn't worked. You started the season 3-0, and so obviously we've seen we've seen the ups and downs of this team. We've seen this team play at their very best, 
put it together, but they weren't scoring, but they were playing great defense. Now we're seeing the fact that they're scoring goals, but they can't, they're not playing, they're, they're playing no defense on top of it. So uh, what it comes down to is, so you are eight games into the season and let's not start up or fire up the panic bus quite yet, but there are three things that have to change. One, Jordan Cairo and Robert Thomas have to earn the extensions that were given to them. They're playing more like the $2.8 million players they are this year instead of the $8 million a year players that will start next year and go forward. Both of those guys, I think the line combinations are a problem. You can't have a Jordan Cairo on the top line with Ryan O'Reilly just because his style of play doesn't fit. O'Reilly needs somebody who can go into the corner and get the puck, win those puck battles. David Perron did that last year. Perron now in Detroit. Jordan Cairo doesn't do that. Obviously, the other guy on that line would be Brandon Saad. Right now, he's sidelined with a lower body injury. The other guy, Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas, we all thought was ready to step into the limelight and become the number one center on this team, taking that torch from Ryan O'Reilly. He is yet to do that as well. So you're seeing the scoring. Jordan Cairo has three goals. Vladimir Tarasenko has three goals. After that, it's like Jake Neighbors has one goal. Noel Achari has one goal. Um, you know, Pavel Buchnevich has one goal. You know, so the guys that you're depending on to score aren't scoring. And then look at the fact that your back end isn't keeping the puck out of your own zone and keeping it out of your own net. People want Jordan Bennington's head on a platter. The problem is, is Bennington won you games in that first three game winning streak that you should have had no, no even remote idea to win. That game in Edmonton that you shut out the Oilers 2 nothing. Tory Krug scores on the power play in the first period. Justin Falk scores an empty netter to seal the deal at 2 nothing, Jordan Bennington had to stop 28 shots. I think they said that nine of those were high danger area, which if you're not familiar with that, it's in the lower slot right there in front of the goaltender. So even the game in Winnipeg that you lost 4-1, Thomas Grice was amazing. He, he gave up four goals, but he had a save percentage of 923. So he's doing his job. They just weren't scoring. Secondly, you know, I like... Craig Berube. I love Craig Berube. I love the way he coaches. Same thing with Steve Ott, Mike Van Ryan. That is a wonderful coaching staff. And then you add Mac T this year in Craig McTavish. The problem being is, and Doug Armstrong alluded to it. Do you remember back when the guys like Perron and Oshie and Bacchus and Steen, this is prior to the Stanley Cup winning year, how Doug Armstrong referred to them as quote unquote, independent contractors. Everybody's out there playing for themselves. They think that they're better as individuals than they are as a team. That doesn't work. Doug Armstrong came out and said the same thing yesterday. Look, the head coach isn't going anywhere. That previous core got guys like Hitch fired, Mike Yo fired. You go back, Andy Murray, Davis, uh, Davis, uh, hell, I can't Davis Payne, Mike Kitchens, those guys, almost said Davis Mills, wrong sport. So, you know, got those guys fired. And, and and Army said, look, Craig's not going anywhere. It's either you guys are going to start playing better and listening to what your coach is telling you, or you're going to be the one out the door. So the players need to be held accountable. As far as goaltender goaltending, look, Thomas Grice had a really bad game in Nashville. And it's hard to defend the fact that he was kicking rebounds out to uh, players that just had, you know, they're right there kicking them out into juicy areas and they, they put the rebound home. He needs to get sharper with his rebound control. It was something that Billy Huso had an issue with last year at times. Bennington, I felt bad for him in that LA game. I mean, the, the Kings came in more times through the back door than a than a bear trying to 
steal a picnic basket. I mean, it was, you know, it, it was actually after the first three, I'm just like, I, I was ready to turn the game off. You know, you look at that and it's, you know, he's sitting there square to the, to the shooter. And the next thing you know, the, the pucks cross ice and it's in the back of his net. It's, it's hard to defend. The blues are in action tomorrow night against the Islanders. The Islanders are a good team as well, but you know, it's your last game on home ice before you hit the road and, and go to the Eastern conference. Cause they play, um, they play the Bruins on Monday and Philadelphia on Tuesday, and uh, it doesn't get any easier. So this team has got to pick it up. They've got to play with the discipline that we've seen. We, we've seen it. We saw it for the first three games this year. And uh, so you already lost a couple games in division, uh, losing to Nashville and uh, Winnipeg. So they've got to pick it up. And they just overall have to play better defense. Colton Pareko is a great player. I said this pre-show. I would let him date my daughter, but there's not a snowball's chance in hell he's defending my crease right now. He's got a the, the 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 defenders that are out there have to quit being pylons for the other team to skate around and actually hit somebody. Four check, you know, fork check, back check, paycheck. That's how it's always been said, and that's how it needs to be. This team has to go to work. Right now, their efforts been piss poor. You know, you mentioned about how uh, Doug Armstrong basically was saying about how this time. Coach ain't going anywhere. You know, Chief's going to be sticking around. And if it doesn't get any better, you guys are going to be the ones that are going to be going. Well, the thing of it is, hasn't part of the problem over this past offseason been because players have gone? You know, Perron being gone is a huge loss. And as the years have gone on, fewer and fewer players have remained from the 2019 Cup team, which I think the one of the biggest things of that Stanley Cup team that made them as good as they were, at least obviously the second half of the season, was their heart and their resiliency. And I guess a better way to put it, the effort. Right. Something you don't see in this team now. There's just no effort. When you go down, you know, they, when the Blues are up, maybe we'll just say 2 nothing, And then all of a sudden the team ties it up 2-2. Well, instead of, you know, really fighting back hard, they just kind of bend over backwards and just let, you know, the team shoot up goals all of a sudden. And, right. you know, out of nowhere, it becomes, you know, 5-1, 6-1, 7-1, or like 3-2, 4-2, 5-2, whatever the case may be. Because under no circumstances should a team be scoring 18 goals in a three-game span or allowing right. 13 goals or 18 goals in a three-game span. Right. And we saw that in the Montreal game uh, last Saturday night. You know, the Blues have a lead. Kairou had scored two goals and, and, you know, you get to the second period and Montreal puts up five and you're sitting there before you, before you blink, you know, you're sitting there scratching your head like, Oh my God, what the hell just happened? You're kind of shell shocked. And, and, you know, the problem is too, is, you know, when you're not scoring goals and you're allowing chances like that, if Bennington allows one or two in, like he's going to hang his head. He's like, Oh God, you know, now he's got more stress on him because the team in front of him is not playing well and they're not scoring goals. So now every Every shot that he stops or every goal he allows becomes a bigger deal until it snowballs. And then, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're kind of just swallowed up by the avalanche. No pun intended. I am glad we have not played them yet. Although they're struggling as well too. So it's weird. There are a lot of teams that were expected to be really, really good in the NHL this year that are struggling. The avalanche are struggling. The Maple Leafs are struggling. The blues are struggling, but the teams that you expected to be bad as in Dallas, as in Chicago, and some of those other teams are at the top of the division. So ultimately, I think it all gets fixed, and ultimately, I think it all balances out. But the Blues have to – they've got to rectify and right the ship soon before it becomes so ingrained in their culture that this is this is how they're going to play. The Blues are a better team than this. They have better talent. 
than a lot of these teams do and better talent than what they played with in the last five games. And it's not like we're losing these games in a shootout or losing these games in overtime. You're losing these games in the second period. And we've seen it before, and we saw it in the year, even when they won the Stanley Cup, that had to get fixed. The second period, and I don't know if it's because of the longer change or whatnot, the second period has always been that that Achilles heel for the St. Louis Blues. If you're Doug Armstrong right now, you know, you speak that it's the players that are going to be next on the chopping block if they don't get uh, – if they don't improve. Like I said, Chief ain't going anywhere. Right. But – so players on the chopping block, if they do not get any better. My question is, um, what else could you possibly do to improve this team? Like I said, eight we're eight, eight or so games in. It's not time to hit the big panic button and, you know, call, you know, a stat and all of a sudden everything's in all hell breaks loose mode. But you also, as a general manager, have a responsibility to make sure the team on the ice is the best team possible before it gets to where you even have to think about hitting that panic button. Well, you know, and he said in his presser that he didn't want to rebrand, retool, nothing. You know, he didn't he didn't think that he wanted to be a part of that and didn't think that this team needed to do that. You know, the Blues play 14 games in the month of November. Uh, that's starting tomorrow night with a – uh, a 7 p.m. tilt at home against the New York Islanders. Then you're on the road for five of your next six games. You go to Boston, you go to Philadelphia, you're at home on the 10th of November against San Jose before you go to Vegas, to Colorado, and to Chicago before returning to Enterprise Center to take on the Washington Capitals. Look, it's not going to be an easy month. And, you know, I, I generally have always been like, okay, so the first the first fence post in an NHL season generally is Thanksgiving. You see where the Blues are at at Thanksgiving, and you go from there. If the Blues have not improved or if they're still playing the same quality of hockey and uh, are just in, in the basement in the central division, that's when you have to start looking at moving assets, including Vladimir Tarasenko, including Orion O'Reilly. And then, unfortunately, you go back to looking at how you did in 0405 coming out of a lockout with a team that was very not very competitive at all. Matter of fact, a team that could not even fill the enterprise center. You'd have 6,000 fans there a night. Those were very dark times in the, in the history of the St. Louis blues. And while I think this team will figure it out, they need to rectify and find the elixir fast because right now you, how many times Jeremy, and I don't know if you watched any of the game Monday night against Los Angeles, but how many times have you heard the fans at enterprise center boo this team out of the building? Wait, uh, not, yeah, they, not like it wasn't the hollow. It wasn't. They weren't in the Halloween spirit. They weren't saying "boo" is in ghost. They were booing that team off the ice. I was gonna say, usually you hear boos just after a bad call or something, but they were straight booing this team out of Enterprise Center. Yep, and here's no my thing, you know, we talk about like I said, there's a lot of season left to go. You mentioned Ryan O'Reilly and Tarasenko, both one of whom we didn't even think would be on the team heading into this season. The other whom, being O'Reilly, may not be on this team after this season. What's the, I mean, if you're anybody else on the Blues, what do you do surrounded by that mind, that vibe, that possible energy that we don't know what's going to happen? Because these guys have been leaders for years on this team. Well, like, They're integral to the success of the Blues franchise. And now, you know, you're sticking in the back of their mind, well, hell, we don't know if they're going to be around much longer on the team. 
it's tough because you've got two players that are technically lame duck players that, that this is the last year of their contract. Vladimir Tarasenko, I don't see him here next year unless he just has an absolute terrible year this year in which he doesn't outprice himself for the Blues because they talked about the fact that the salary cap in NHL could go up as high as $4 million next year uh, per team. So here's the other thing. That means you have a lame duck captain. Ryan O'Reilly is the captain of the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, we, it kind of goes back to 2019. Petrangelo was a a lame duck captain. And we didn't know what was going to happen there. Ultimately, you win the Stanley Cup, you know, and he moves on to Vegas. The Blues bring in Tory Krug and, and, you know, Justin Falk and the rest is, you know, kind of history since then. It's tough, especially when the next core on the rise, they're, they're younger players. Kairou, Thomas. Pareko, um, you know, um, Miko Mikola, uh, you've got, you know, even guys like Buchnevich and Shin will be here and they're, they're veterans, but still, I mean, you're talking about losing two of the uh, most productive players that the Blues have had in recent history. And, and you're not sure they're going to be here next year. And if I'm a player that kind of pushes me even harder, not knowing if we're going to have these guys next year and how long that window is going to be open. Like I want to win now. And I'm sure that those guys want to win, and I'm sure they they are giving effort. But unfortunately, what we're seeing, the product in the ice looks bad. And we can't tell that they're putting on effort because when they get down, they their heads go down. They, it's like they just give up, and they kind of go into a shell. And and that, look, Coach Berube, you know, you know, Chief, that's not the way he coaches. And that's not the way Doug Armstrong GMs, and it's certainly not – the way Tom Stillman owns a team. So I expect him, like I said, I expect him to get it better, but man, I, I would not want to be a fly on that locker room. Like the other night watching the blues Kings game after that second period, I'm just like, man, I, I'm sure Baruby is losing his mind. One last thing I want to ask you, James, uh, before we wrap it up here this evening. So you mentioned Tom Stillman, the owner of the blues. On his perspective, where do you think Doug Armstrong stands? We talk well, about how Craig Berube and the players stand from the perspective of Army, but we've yet to really talk about the perspective of where Army's at from the viewpoint of the owner Tom Stillman. Well, I think I think Doug Armstrong bought himself as long as he wants with that Stanley Cup championship. I mean, obviously, I, I think right now, I mean, you gave up Berglund, Sabotka, and Tej Thompson for Ryan O'Reilly. Now, Tej Thompson. He's starting to put it together. He had a 6.9 the other night. He had three goals and three assists. Uh, And let me tell you what, that third goal for the uh, hat trick, man, that dangle was pretty. Uh, But still, that trade brought you Ryan O'Reilly. And ultimately, having Ryan O'Reilly brought you Lord Stanley's Cup and and the first cup in in Blues history, in, in 52 years of Blues history. I think Doug Armstrong has earned the leeway. Now, if you get into a situation where you're starting to have bad contracts. Thankfully, Jordan Bennington showed that in the playoffs last year before he was ruthlessly manhunted by Nazim Kadri and knocked out of the Colorado Avalanche uh, series, that Bennington was back to his 2019 self. And he showed that this year before the defense has all gone to hell, that that contract's not bad. Doug Armstrong has never bought out a Blues player, which says just his magnitudes for the fact that he gives out good contracts. It's one of the reasons that Tarasenko uh, hasn't been, you know, he no movement cause. Same thing that Petrangelo didn't get uh, a no movement ca- clause and moved on to Vegas. So 
you know, I think it's important to keep in mind that he did sign Thomas and Kyrie to long contracts, but those go into effect next year. You're not going to know what you're getting out of those contracts for at least two to three years. So it's not fair to put that on those guys now. But I, I think Doug Armstrong is allowed in and giving himself at least that much leeway to see uh, how this team and how this roster shapes out the rest of this year. Yeah, it's a good thing there is a lot of season left, but at the same time, the Blues don't have much time to keep making the mistakes that they've been making so far. Right. You can't lose a championship, or I'm sorry, you can't win a championship in November, but you can lose one early on in the season. Absolutely. Well, James, it has been another wonderful evening. I'll tell you that right now. Folks, we are about to wrap it up here on Roundabout Sports, presented by Interstate 70 Sports Media. And we thank you all so much for tuning in this evening. Um, be sure to find us on YouTube at Interstate 70 Sports Media. We are on Spotify. We are on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Anchor, Breaker, so many other places. Um, you can find uh, Roundabout Sports. You can find some of our old shows on there. Well, you find all of our old shows. Um, we have so much more content on our YouTube channel. Um, we're also on Facebook, Interstate 70 Sports Media, as well as Roundabout Sports. And James and I are both on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, before we wrap it up, I uh, always want to throw out there that the – National Alliance on Mental Illness has themselves a hotline, the NAMI helpline at 1-800-950-NAMI. Um, they are a nonprofit organization, as a, which was actually originally a grassroots group by family uh, members. They identify its mission as providing advocacy, education, support, and public awareness so that everybody, in fa including families affected by mental illness, can build better lives. And that's one of the most important things, you know, mental illness is real. Um, and it's, you know, it's very heartbreaking. We, James and I experience it a lot in life. Um, and, you know, a helpline is always available. Also the suicide crisis and crisis lifeline, you just have to dial 988. Uh, it's available 24-7, 365, 366 on leap years. Um, understand that you're never alone in this world. There's It just takes one phone call. There's always someone out there that loves you and cares about you and will listen to you and hear you through your pr problems and situations that you're going through. But you should never have to go through it alone. Um, James and I, I know, definitely appreciate you all tuning in this evening. We look forward to doing the show every Wednesday night. Um, and we look forward to doing it again next week, um, barring something comes up. <laughs> but until then, folks, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm the maestro, Jeremy Carp. He's Hollywood James Knox. And always remember, life is a book full of empty pages just waiting to be written in. Make your lives worth reading. <laughs>